I was waiting for this call and even didn't open a bottle of wine yet. <laughs> so you're saying you need a bottle of wine? I have it with, with me here, but I didn't want to drink it before the call. So are you, are you going to wait for the right moment and you'll take it out? No, 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 no. Like, come on. <laughs> Let's keep, keep it professional. Misha, you wanted to call this conversation uh, 2020 year in review. Um, I think something similar, but I'm thinking of the state of innovation through COVID. So uh, regardless of which title we go with, uh, they both work. But, uh, but I, I wanted to start by asking you actually an exact question that I asked you on a few podcasts ago when you and I were sitting down together in downtown Dubai. I asked Ooh, you, it's, I'm getting scared. <laughs> I asked you the question, buddy. I said, if you had a megaphone, what would be your advice to enterprises? We were talking about enterprise technology, enterprise innovation, and your answer about the most important advice with your megaphone. You said, start dreaming. Get out of the circle where you just operate with what you have and dream. Dream what could be changed. Now, six months in the future, we've had some more experiences. Things have changed with COVID. We're still in COVID. What's your reaction to reliving that moment with me? Uh, have companies listened? Uh, some do, some don't. Um, some pretended <laughs> that they listened. <laughs> this, is, this is kind of my, my, my current experience. Uh, we do have... Uh, we do have examples where people like companies, let's go talk about companies, said, yeah, okay, le le let's do really crazy things. Let's go with it and do it. Some, uh, why is he pretended, declared that yes, but then uh, like amount of uh, time to deal or even initiate something or anything like processes, nothing changed. Okay, and still struggling, and some that decided to do nothing, we do see unfortunately like uh, quite a big degradation. Okay, so yeah, this this is kind of um, my takeaway. Six months after, um, I I don't want to say I was right, but uh, I was right. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back on twenty twenty and how enterprises reacted to this craziness in the world. Is it what you expected? Like, I'm curious, what, what has surprised you when you're looking at the behavior of big companies through the chaos? Is, does something come to mind? Was it as you expected, or what was the big surprise? I would say it was a, like, I'm kind of old dinosaur, so I expect the crazy shit. <laughs> But uh, it still makes me kind of asking myself, what the fuck? Okay. Um, I'll give you a really simple example. Enterprise, right? COVID. Majority 
of people started to work remotely. Didn't come to offices, didn't do uh, like uh, any work in the office, started to work remotely, started to work like uh, do, do everything from homes. Um, like two years ago when I was uh, saying like, ah, I, most of the time I work remotely, actually in my mind, I was talking about like thinking, ah, work remotely from this Starbucks or another Starbucks or some, from some park or yeah. whatever, right? Now we work remotely from home, right? And so, like now is we're gonna get to the level that on a big scale we work remotely, right? And it's really killing to hear sometimes responses from those enterprises where everything already remotely or 95% or 90% or 80% of their operation shifted to remote work. Suddenly when you ask for something, they putting on the table some stupid policy or regulation that they built 20 years ago, and they're not willing to change it. Yeah. <laughs> and this, this policy actually prevents for freaking any innovation for them. Thing that can be done in like three days, one week, takes five months. And what really kills me that executives don't even care. <laughs> so so I, I, maybe I'm too bold, okay? Maybe they're asking themselves, like, what's going on? Maybe they're coming with those questions uh, to their teams. And, of course, um, it comes to the surface, like, oh, we cannot do this because of this policy or because of this regulation. Oh, yeah, but why not to change it? Yeah, policy Why not needs to think to... how to overcome it. Yeah, it's like policy needs to be <laughs> agile, right? We're talking about being agile, being resilient, uh, being adaptive. It, it needs to happen at the policy level too, right? With these uh, big, big giants out there. It's almost everywhere, but uh, we do see this a lot in enterprises, big yeah. enterprises. And the reason we, we see this in those big enterprises because they do have, they're much more mature from uh, like, uh, from operation perspective, policy perspective, processes perspective. They're really much mature than any startups or any small and medium business companies. Of course, like uh, I don't want to kind of paint them all in black. They, they know what they do and they do most times like right things. At least I want to believe in that. But still like it's maybe when COVID will hit wave number five <laughs> and world will, will really collapse uh, in much more, 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 more ways. Uh, and I, I do see that uh, uh, the collapse, it didn't start yet. Mm. Okay. So I'll, I'll give you one example. One of the main aircraft companies in the United States it took them about three years to realize that hackers were sitting and monitoring and doing whatever they wanted in their network. Three years, okay? During the COVID, it's statistically already proven that the cybersecurity threat increased by 400%. 400. 400%. Even more now, now probably even more, like I didn't see the latest, latest statistics. But 
What it means, it means that professional hackers guaranteed already sitting inside some networks, some enterprises, and preparing their ticking bomb. So yeah. we will see a lot of interesting stuff in the future. Really, a lot. We already see it. We already see it. Big time. Because almost nobody was prepared for 100% remote work. Yeah. People, uh, people uh, weren't equipped with laptops, corporate laptops, like 80% of the employees not getting corporate laptops. Right. So now when they work remote, how do they work? Mm-hmm. More in most cases from their personal computers, right? And uh, the topic of bring your own device to enterprise, it's already like in the air for many, many years. Actually in the air, many years. Yeah. You're talking but- to you're talking to these companies all the time. So you're constantly feeling the, the difference with some of these companies, right? Uh, are you are you trying to talk differently to to different types of companies? Like, are you aware? Can you spot with a company that doesn't want to change their policy and is really scared about disruptive innovation? And can you spot the company that likes to innovate and uh, is more comfortable with it? And do you treat these companies differently? Because every every day. You're talking to multiple companies like this. Every week, I'm talking to multiple companies like this. How do you treat the differences when you have some companies that say that want to stand by their 20-year policy and some companies want to talk art of possibility? Are you trying to identify which, which basket to put them inside? Or how do you deal with a, a world with such different mindsets? Um. I'm actually coming to really interesting realization after my 30 years uh, work experience. I think disruptive, the, 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 just the word, disruptive technology, disruptive innovations shouldn't be in the same sentence with the word enterprise organization. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> because in reality, it's not happening. It's all bullshit. Okay, it's BS. There is no disruptive technology get adopted by any big enterprises in the world. Technology get adopted there when it has at least five years experience like on the market, when it's already validated, when it's already proved, when there is a a huge install base, where is like a huge knowledge base. This is the time when enterprises considering to start adopting a new technology. Disruptive technology and like cutting edge technology, all that, those buzzwords really get adopted by small businesses, by medium, uh, medium-sized medium businesses. I, I cannot see, I cannot envision. And one day I was sitting and really stretching my head um, and try to find, remember, any company of size five or 10,000 people and up that I personally was involved with them over the last 30 years, what kind of technology they were adopting and when? Mm. What was the uh, life cycle of this technology, like from the vendor perspective, when it gets adopted by enterprises? So who is doing really good job on that? 
hardware vendors. Okay. So HP servers, IBM servers, like new servers get adopted almost immediately. Like almost immediately. But it's commodity. It's right. just more powerful server. <laughs> it's, it's not less, it's not disruptive. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's wow, amazing new server. More cores, more CPU, more storage, faster. That's it. Yeah. Laptops. Yeah. Better battery, better screen. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> more memory, more storage. It's not disruptive technology. Right? When we're talking about uh, things like, I don't know, like uh, access from the, like working from uh, your own device, like bring your own device. Yeah. This is kind of disruptive, but not. But still, it's a little bit shift in the mindset of people that, oh, okay. Well, now, now, now we need to expand the, the, uh, the, uh, the coverage of devices that we need to support. Okay, so it's more challenging rather than uh, uh, challenging to the uh, to the business to start working with this, rather than oh, it's a new disruptive technology. Yeah. So yeah. somehow through this, we see some new disruptive technology coming, but it's it's not like a huge huge things. So if you're selling something to a company with more than five thousand employees. Should you even be using the word disruptive when you're giving your pitch, when you're saying how something should be adopted? Because I know you were giving me some advice recently as we were talking to some of our own large enterprise clients, crafting some messages, re-engagements, right? Things are changing quickly, boom, boom. And you were saying, you know, be easy on the language of disruptive, be easy on the language of game changer, super innovative, because it seems like some of these words actually scare these companies as opposed to seem like a, an attractive feature. What, what, what's your thought about that? Should you, what, what language should you use? Is it often about incremental innovation in these uh, 5,000 employees and up enterprises? Should things be positioned as how do we get something 20% better? as opposed to a thousand percent better or how does the message need to sh need to shift i don't know how it needs to be uh, shifted <laughs> i from my perspective uh, trying to remove those uh, those catchy words from my vocabulary mm -hmm. i really trying to not to use them when i talk to um, to executives when i talk about something new right um, I'll give you one really one really interesting example. <clears throat> I'm talking right now to one. Uh, I would call it startup, okay? Because they in, in the mode of startup. Mm -hmm. um, they they do have they were the product company already exists uh, for some some period of time, working profitable, all good, right? But they they wanna scale out and they want to create a product that's going to be one of the mainstreams of the business. So it's really startup, right? And the executives coming, the executives and the owners of this company, they're coming from like enterprise background. And they, they, they know their stuff. They know their domain. They work like really, 
for a long time in this. So they have a lot of experience. They have a lot of knowledge. So on one of the sessions when we discussed uh, the product that should be created that do not exist on the market yet, competitors didn't build it yet because there's technically no, almost no competitors. Right. So it's, we're talking about new product that should be created. And the, one of the questions that was asked, okay, uh, what you guys propose or the idea that you have in mind how it should be done, how mature is this idea? When it was implemented before, <laughs> what, the, like, uh, what the confidence where we need to assign to this? And my response was like, guys, you're asking to build something new that do not exist yet. So it's going to be the new, <laughs> new product. Right. <laughs> and you're afraid of the phrase of innovation. <laughs> a startup too. And it's a startup. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I think that um, those words, they, they get so abused that they now bring more negativity to the conversation rather than benefit. My personal opinion. Mm. When people hear like uh, the pitch, when they listen to the pitch, oh, our product or our solution is the most innovative, blah, 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 blah. Actually, executive here, blah, 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 blah. Their brain already filters those words. They don't even listen to this. It's my observation. Okay. Yeah, no doubt. I, I, I think that uh, I think that empathy, empathy helps because it can depend what industry you're talking to, because some industries do not get some, maybe let's hypothetically say some industries don't get pitched new technology <laughs> projects every day. Some of these industries might hear new, new innovation and they might think, oh, this is new. Whereas if you pitch a company, if you pitch, a, you know, if you're pitching a, a venture capital investor in Silicon Valley, United States, that you're building a new uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning product, they're probably just going to filter this into their spam box because they probably get pitched this every day. A thousand times, and unless you get introduced from another portfolio company, there's no chance. But I, I think most of these companies, most large enterprises, they get pitched new innovation, disruptive technologies every single day. So just the cut through the noise, it's like you need to you need to say something different. You need to say something that makes you stand out, right? Because they get they get tired of the the brainwashing. They get tired of hearing about uh, disruptive technology. So maybe you need to constantly be reinventing the vocabulary. Maybe what's best today will not be best in five years. I don't know. It's always good to stand out. Either. We, 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 we need to practice and experiment for sure. Absolutely. Okay, so, um, this is how we go through. Absolutely. You, you, you know the story when well, once we just did a change of one word on the proposal and it get approved. Literally, search and replace one word. We change the word assessment to the health check. That's it. Right. <laughs> and it get approved. So we 
constantly need to experiment. So it's, it's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, going back to um, some of the themes that we've seen, you already made mention about cybersecurity. So stuff that's stuff that's been really happening through 2020. This is the 2020 year in review. Heck, we're partway through 2021. Things are flying. So what you already mentioned that cyber attacks have increased 400%. You can correct me if that number's wrong, but they're going up. I don't think many many of us are surprised to hear this, yet it seems like a lot of enterprises still are not doing anything about it. Do you know why this is like, maybe, maybe the, maybe we can point the finger at the enterprises and say, you guys are just a bunch of, of, of lazy guys. Why are you not, why are you not protecting yourselves? You know, what's coming, you know, like winter is coming, but at the same time, maybe there's something that we can be doing as the partner of these enterprises. Like let, let's brainstorm for a couple of minutes. What's wrong. Why are enterprises not investing? in cyber when the writing is on the wall you know but you remind me of my times when i was flying like crazy right winter <laughs> is coming actually fortunately <laughs> i don't want to say unfortunately winter is coming every year right every year for the last at least 2000 years again even more years depends what calendar you use but let's say more than 2000 years sure right I, I remember myself stacking many times in uh, New York in airports and every time, oh, this winter is the like the craziest one. All airports shut it down. <laughs> really? From Winnipeg, we were flying when it was minus 30, when it's snowing, when it's everything. So in Winnipeg, airports prepared for winter. And in Winnipeg, we know that winter is coming. <laughs> but in New York, they also know that winter is coming. But every year, the same freaking story. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably my frustration. <laughs> I just remember how many hours I spent in airports in New York <laughs> because of this freaking winter, right? Going back to like cybersecurity and big other companies, they do, don't do, whatever. Some of them, like if we will talk about small, medium-sized uh, companies, many of them, again, they are not matured enough to understand the risk and uh, implications of this uh, cybersecurity threat. Sure, the small guys. Yeah. Uh, some enterprises, they, they understand and they do the best they can. And I need to put the asterisk here on the phrase, the best they can. Because some of them only do stuff that required by regulators. And as long as they got compliant, and as long as they got insur insurance approved, that's it. Nothing mm. get done. In many cases, and again, I don't want to paint everybody in black. It's not true, okay? But in many cases, IT guys that dealing with cyber or cybersecurity guys, I really think that those people need to get special bonuses because mm. they're the, the last resort. They're dealing with the stuff 
that uh, it's really hard to deal with the budget that they get allocated to cyber. Historically, and I don't see that much has changed. Historically, IT department was getting about 10, 20% of the corporate budget. Right. Allocated to IT. And uh, IT needed to take this budget, purchase licenses, hardware, software, uh, uh, pay salaries, like all that stuff. So cybersecurity team <laughs> was getting probably 10% of the 10%. It's, it's hard. One of the biggest uh, message that I'm trying to deliver like for years, and I, I talk about this like really for years with many companies around the globe who said that cybersecurity should be part of the IT department. Mm. Interesting. Cybersecurity takes care on everything. You want to tell me that your financial department doesn't need cybersecurity? Or this procurement department don't need to go through the social engineering uh, uh, prevention training? Good point. Really? Support team that uh, answering the calls of your clients. They need to be trained how they detect the cybersecurity threat. So I was always pitching that cybersecurity budget should come from all departments. Mm. Every single department in the enterprise should allocate some portion toward cybersecurity. So it's not about, oh, we're just buying a server, so buying a cloud services and blah, 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 everything around it. It's more about, okay, we business is operational. Everybody is working, everything is there. Now, how we protect this business to, to stay operational? How we protect the brand? It was uh, some statistics that said that business that get compromised, in many cases, it was more than 60% of businesses, if I'm not mistaken, in next year, running out of business mm -hmm. because they get compromised, they, they lost a lot of data, they, they lost reputation, and sometimes data that get, that lost, it's actually the killer for the business. So you're not talking Web, about from a cash <clears> flow perspective. One, <clears throat> not cash flow perspective. I'm talking about like in general, business is just running out, out, out of business. Hmm. What, what, uh, one story from the trenches. Company, construction company, builder. They get hacked, in, uh, uh, ransom attack, all data get encrypted. Apparently, backups didn't work. They lost everything. No data, nothing. So they even didn't know what contracts they signed, on what terms, with who, what the deadlines, nothing. Everything get lost. Restart. The only, 
they literally restarted their business from scratch. And they were operating just based on the paper that was printed. But you can imagine not everything was printed. No. What do you think happened with this company? Eight months. Wow. So you're, you're, you're suggesting a few things here. You're suggesting that budget should come from many different departments. All departments should be essentially putting budget. All departments should allocate some funds. Yep. Okay. Do you also think that cybersecurity should be its own department? Do you think it should split away from IT? Or do you think it can still live inside the IT department? I would actually rename it. I would rename it to uh, business intelligence security or something like that. Business security. And it's its own department? It can be subdivision of some of IT department or things like that, because again, we're talking about cybersecurity. Sure. But cyber is already outside of just a cyber. It is security. It's business security now, huh? <clears throat> It's a business security. It's not just uh, uh, let's protect, uh, let's think about the length of passwords for our systems. I hope one day we will have no passwords uh, actually at all. Yeah. It will come. I know it will come. Yeah. Okay. It's not just about this. It's not about, okay, let's, let's encrypt the hard drive. Yeah. No, it's much more. How we deal with the social engineering attack. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot. How, how we deal with I, uh, IoT security. How yeah. we deal with the physical penetration to the environment. Yeah. How? Yeah. So it's, it's not like I, I, I see some companies that they have, they're hiring some security guys, some subcontractors or whatever vendor that provides physical security. Unfortunately, up until now, I managed to pass almost all of them and get penetrating physically to the premises of the business. Mm. There's many ways to do do this. But (laughs) those guys, they don't think about cyber. They just think about, okay, I need to see your ID when, when I allowing you to get in or, or get out. Right, right. Yeah, I've they, been they... in the situations. <coughs> oh, man. I've been in the situations when, like, I call it monkey work. Uh, actually, in New York, I'm, I was coming uh, to the building and I had a meeting uh, with one of the clients. And almost every building right now in North America, I would say, has a security guard uh, like in the lobby, right? Where, where we need to sign up, like name, telephone, email, whatever, with, with whom we are meeting, all that stuff. Right. <clears throat> this particular comp- uh, building, they were making a picture. They asked to make a picture, like the security guys, asked to make a picture of every single visitor that get re- registered, right? Mm-hmm. And they have <laughs> disruptive technology, man. 
<clears throat> they make a picture through the webcam and they print the label that I, as a visitor, need to put here. And whenever I'm in a building, I need to have it visible. Where I have my name, company, everything, and my picture. But the, the fun part that if it's sunny outside, when they make a picture, when it gets printed, it's just black. It's black. <laughs> Black out. I, I probably can't even find the example of this. It's black. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lighting issue. Lighting issue. Because they're like, the, it's kind of from the design, physical design perspective. When, when like I'm standing uh, facing to like my back is facing uh, to the, to the street, huge window. So when the security guard, making a picture, all the lights from the window comes to the camera, black out, nothing is there. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. It's, it's, it meets the policy. It's compliant. The security guard doesn't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I see this constantly almost everywhere. Yeah. Like almost everywhere. Good example. Good example. Let's um, and, go ahead. And talking about like the COVID, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't see that these kind of things get changed even during the COVID. <laughs> yes, well, less visitors. So if we, even if it's less visitors, we would expect like even better work, right? Man, you and I remember when you were in Dubai. We went for a meeting and we were stopped for the, uh, by security guy. And they said, we, can't, we are here to meet with your CEO. And they named the CEO, remember? And he let us go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I still have no idea where we were. <laughs> I was like Alice in Wonderland. That building was crazy. But yeah, you just, you just said something and he let us go, right? People don't want... People don't want problems. People don't want stress. People don't want to do extra work. But at the end of the day, somebody needs to be responsible for this stuff. These, these incompetent decisions. These, uh, and, and maybe it ties back to and that's something we've talked about in the past. It, it really helps to have a really competent board of directors, to have an advisory board that has uh, technology minds on it. They can help guide some of these principles, right? To have to have the right leaders providing the right input to your company. And it seems like there's a lack of people that know how to talk technology and business on the boards and advisory committees of some of these companies. So maybe that's the next level of maturity, right? You need the right advice. Probably. And you need to be ready to hear this advice. Really good point. Uh, you know, like, I, I'll just, with your permission, we'll step back for a second, right? Uh, you just said about uh, stress, right? And nobody wants to be stressed and uh, all that stuff, right? You know, we, we do a lot of work in the medical sector. And uh, I, uh, like, we talk to different um, uh, medical industries and we talk to doctors. So one of my last conversations uh, with a neurologist uh, showed really interesting 
and crazy thing. During the COVID, amount of stress and amount of disease that, get, that escalated because of stress went to the stupid high levels. I don't remember exact number, but it's unbelievable. Like it, people can compare, professionals comparing this only to the, like not so high, but kind of, the next one is the stress of uh, like post-traumatic, uh, post-traumatic stress uh, disorder. PTS, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, P I think. PTSD, but not just PTSD after they're like uh, some car incident, mm. military stuff, war. People mm. get stressed like crazy during the wartime. Right. We're now fighting with the COVID, invisible enemy. So the stress level is really hitting the roof. And now, when we talk, if we will take a look on that again from the cybersecurity angle, it's it's a paradise for hackers. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, like it's it's tough. It's tough. And uh, yeah, prob probably like as you said, like. Um, mature enough advisory board and actually advisory board, not just uh, business people, fi financial people uh, that usually sit on advisory boards. Uh, I would say people that coming from really different dimensions that they bring expertise that sometimes we, we unable to see the right correlation to it, but it can find the, the right message, what we need to think of. We don't know what we don't know. Yeah. This is the point. And when we talk to people, they sometimes showing us what we don't know. Yeah. Maybe every advisory board should have a security expert. And I'm not just saying an IT expert. I'm saying oh, man, a security man, man, man. expert. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're talking illusions now. Okay. <laughs> you know why I'm saying you're talking illusions? Because it will because never happen. In many companies. No, no, I hope it one day will happen. <laughs> but go and do your homework. Really interesting. I'll, I'll challenge you. Okay. And uh, we will talk about this, man. Do, this, uh, do the research. Find, let's say, I will simplify your life. Um, go and search for companies of 5,000 people, up to 5,000 people in one region. You pick up the region, okay? Mm -hmm. We do a lot of work in North America. We do a lot of work now in Europe and the Middle East. Pick one, okay? At least we will use this data afterwards. Data <laughs> is important, right? And take, take a look. Really, on one in one point, take a look who is in their board and how many boards have CTO or CIO part of the board. 
Mm-hmm. I have a <laughs> hypothesis. <laughs> I would say it's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> because in many, 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 many cases, historically, for many years, boards do not have IT, CTO, CIO, technology people in the board. Yeah. Do 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 the research. I will. Man. I will. It will be it will be really interesting to see if things get changed or yeah. at least we will see some pattern that it's changing. I agree. Okay. I agree. Please we- exclude technology exclude technology companies, okay? Makes sense. Like all those uh, crypto blockchain companies, they all have uh, technology experts in a, on the board. Absolutely. We were talking about uh, how COVID uh, and uh, this 2020 year in review, COVID has created a paradise for hackers. So cybersecurity is a major theme. COVID has also created perhaps a uh, good timing and a paradise for DeFi projects and the whole world of blockchain, DeFi, cryptocurrency, digital finances. Um, What are you seeing um, as the big catalyst of the DeFi community? Like DeFi, blockchain is over 10 years old. Now it seems like, I don't know, maybe one in two projects that we we get pitched where people want us involved in are related to decentralized finance. Why the buzz right now? What's, what's the trigger point? Is it, uh, is it real, this buzz, or is it just a feeling of buzz where everybody wants to make money? So first of all, people always want to make money. Okay, let's start with this. Uh, DeFi, it's not something new. Okay, so it's, it was exist. Why it's the big buzz? Why suddenly we see $60,000 for Bitcoin and all the crypto is going up, okay? Yeah. And disclaimer, I am not a financial advisor. Please do not consider this as any financial advice or anything. It's just uh, (laughs) my my thoughts, okay? Actually, COVID triggered a huge recession. Mm Mm-hmm. And the entire world is going through recession right now. We, we, we want to admit it or not, but it's reality. Like, uh, and we have really, really uh, hard times for many companies, many enterprises, not just enterprises, for, for many people. We know a lot of people that struggle right now. Yeah. And what we see governments do, they just go and print money on paper and converting this money just to a piece of paper. So the level of inflation is, will go to the roof and people understand it. At least they think like that. So uh, those, let's call it uh, legacy financial systems like banks, people don't like them. They work with banks just because they forced to work with banks. But everybody mm-hmm. started to, to, to look around for any possible way to get rid of bank. So, like, it's insane that bank transaction takes three, four days. 
I mean, we are like with the bank investigating the transaction get, that get lost already for three weeks. Yeah. We did the wire and money didn't arrive. You still and have bank it. declares, no. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, and on blockchain, it's bam, it's there. It's fast, lower transaction uh, fees, a bunch of different benefits. Yeah, be right? careful with the low transaction fees now. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> because on some blockchains, the transaction fees are like really went up. Mm. But again, still, it's, it makes sense. And DeFi, it's actually really to simplify it for, for people that not in the domain. I would say it's the new iteration. It's a new era of the banking system. Mm. on a technology but again like uh, it takes time the en uh, entrance point for regular people like normal people that not technically savvy it's really hard really tough entry point so it's not getting the the mass adoption as everybody dreams about so and again one of the reasons why it's not getting the mass adoption because those innovators forced to follow particular policies and rules and be mm. compliant with, with, with something that 10 years old, 20 years old, 30 years old. Yeah. So you're, so you're <laughs> saying that despite the buzz, despite the scam, despite the... Uh, the lack of certainty and the fluctuation in the coins, you're saying there's tangible value in DeFi out there. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. My, my personal opinion. Should every enterprise be studying, researching, experimenting with DeFi? Or who is it most applicable to? If we're talking about enterprise companies, we're talking about companies, hundreds of employees with thousands of employees, should DeFi somehow be on all of their roadmaps for research and experimentation? Or would you say it's certain types of companies or certain industries that should care more about these technologies and frameworks specifically? Absolutely not everybody. No, like we still, when we talk about crypto and DeFi, it's, part, it's a crypto, okay? It's still... Uh, we talk about financial sector. So yeah. if you're in manufacturing and building tractors, can you use, leverage some of the features of the five? Of course, yeah. But we, should you look at it in research? Probably now. I, I don't know. Maybe not. Makes no mm -hmm. sense. And it doesn't matter if I even will say, yeah, it makes sense. It's never going to be the priority for this kind of industry. Banks, yes. They need to research. <laughs> they need to look at it. And we do have banks that, uh, like, we know that experimenting with this and, um, to, and trying things and even building the incubators inside and really trying to study it, learn it. And based on this, their study and their research, they're planning to build really interesting, building new policies and new regulation rules based on what they studied. Well, that like, sounds positive. Kudos, to, kudos to, uh, to, to those because they didn't try to take the legacy crop and apply it to the new stuff.
because yeah. garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So if you're a bank or you're a credit union or you're a financial institution of some sorts, DeFi should be somewhere on your radar. You should at least be familiar with it. You should at least research with it. You should seriously consider some kind of experiment or you're uh, out of the game, right? You know what? If you don't want to be a codec, if you don't want to be a blockbuster, <laughs> yeah, you, you need. It's, it's actually good. I do believe that all the digital currency at some point will be under, again, banks and government regulations. I do believe it will happen. Mm -hmm. Somehow, directly, indirectly, but it will, it will, it will get to, to this level. And we will, we will live in a new digital finances. Like it's going to be a new era of digital finances where we, will, uh, we are not going to use credit cards anymore, no checks, no real money, no fiat. This time will come. Yeah. So, so giving your, giving your non-financial advice, are you buying crypto right now? Are you selling crypto right now? Are you holding crypto right now? What are you doing? I, uh, I will use my privilege not to answer this. <laughs> 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 all right brother all right